on the pivot listen we thank you guys for all the support remember to subscribe and like every single episode and maybe watch it even more than once that'll be great uh we got a very special guest today uh fred's kind of giving it away he got a little a little yankee <laughs> fit on uh my, my dog channing is, is excited because he says he finally gets to talk to another male dime uh but oh, it's 14 yeah. time yeah. all-star mvp world series champ now great in his business life and also analyzing the game. Alex Rodriguez, man, thank you for being here. This is huge for us. We asked, we asked Floyd and we had him on. All right, bro, like, <laughs> we need some of your help now. Like, who do you think we need to get on the show? And you were one of the first names that he mentioned. So to be sitting here with you with the World Series trophy behind you, man, is a surreal experience for all of us. Just tell us a little bit about life, man. What's going on? Well, first of all, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Floyd is a, is a good brother of mine and uh, nothing makes me happier than to support three brothers doing great things, uh, really conveying the right message to our communities. And I think what you guys are doing is really God's work because we need to feed our next generation with positivity, good information, uh, whether that's investing, taking care of themselves, health and wellness, uh, and sports, right? And, and sports and music uh, has a tendency to bring people together uh, in a world that's so divided today. So I, I'm just, Vibing, uh, running my business, having a great time. I have my two daughters that you know go to school right down the street here in Coconut Grove, Miami. Kind of my hood, uh, yeah. your hood. Yeah, and, and it's a great place. So you are, so you are an, an honorary alum of mm -hmm. UM, and when you are that age, you get to commit to one of the more prestigious, especially baseball mm -hmm. universities, you know, in the country. What was that experience like for you playing high school ball and then realizing, you know what, maybe I don't have to go to college yeah. and can go right to the league? You know, let me bring you back a little bit to right here when I grew up right here in the hood. You know, I grew up in a neighborhood called uh, Kendall. It was probably like 99% Latinos, uh, Cuban, Dominican, Puerto Rican, Colombians. We're all the same, right? We're all Latinos. But uh, I came from very modest beginnings. And... Uh, my mother had two jobs, right? She, she was a secretary in the morning. She served tables at night, single mother, with my two siblings, Joe and Susie. And uh, th that's how we survived. And I was at the Boys and Girls Club every morning, uh, every day after school. And what was interesting is right down the street, you had the University of Miami. And bringing you back, growing up, we didn't have the Marlins. We didn't have a professional baseball team. So growing up in Miami, Ron Frazier and the Hurricanes was everything. It was like our version of the New York Yankees. 
And I remember as a kid, you know, they had these really old ushers and they were kind of white and slow. <laughs> and they were like in their 80s and 90s. And I'm like, I can get these guys in. So my friends would distract a couple of them. We would jump the fence and then I would distract a couple and then they would jump the fence. So I kind of kind of build up all this debt at the University of Miami. <laughs> so finally, when I made some coin, uh, I build the baseball field called Alex Rodriguez Baseball Park, Park now. Wow. Yes, and, and Alex Rodriguez, I was actually there for the Florida, I'm a Gator, so I was there for the Florida UM series. We went and, you know, Florida 2-1, sorry about that. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you because like RC was talking about, man, you got, you had an opportunity, to have, you had scholarships, college scholarships in baseball and football. Mm -hmm. Yep, QB. Mm -hmm. But you decided to go to the league. You got drafted by the Mariners. Yep. 93. 1993, mm -hmm. and then you got a million dollar signing bonus. Mm -hmm. And it made me connect with you because I got a uh, $588,000 signing bonus after tax. So my signing bonus was like $780. Okay. And I got like $600. You probably got $700. I was 21 and I fed it all off. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got million dollars at 17 years old. How was that? Did your parents manage it? Like, how was it to be 17 years old? You couldn't even, like, you just started driving. And they gave you a million dollars. How was it coming out and being that young? Well, actually, a million three five. But oh, who's yeah. counting? <laughs> but who's counting? And, and, and Channing, the reason why I say that, the reason why I say that is my, bro, my, my sister and my mom, my mom and my sister were my agent. At the time, you couldn't have an agent because if you officially hired an agent, you lose your NCAA eligibility. Mm -hmm. Correct. So my sister is a bull. She's tough. She's Nick's mom. And I was 17 years old and they were offering me a million dollars. And I'm like, I'm good with that. Mom, we're broke. Like, I need right. to go get this bread and go start my career. My mom's like, hell no. If they don't give you 1.5, you're going to the University of Miami. And I said, mom, are you sure? And my sister's like, yeah. I'm like, I've never met people that are broke that are so damn tough. <laughs> All right? Like, usually you get tougher when you have leverage. We had no leverage. That, that early on kind of gave me an idea of the backbone that my mother had and, and the conviction and the confidence in me. And uh, I'll never forget that. It was in this building, before this building, which is a new building, there was a hotel right here. And I negotiated the contract in the wee hours of the night with the Mariners. We landed at 1.35 and we did it at two in the morning because the next morning I was about to walk into the University of Miami. And if I did, back in those days, you had to stay for three years. So it was one of the most exciting, most nerve-wracking experiences of my life. And I thank my mom and my sister for having my back. Your inspiration, what inspired you to get into the game of baseball? Well, it's interesting, you know, I'm Dominican, right? Yeah. I was born in New York, raised in Miami, but both of my parents are Dominican. Um, and we take a lot of pride in, in being Dominican. And right. uh, in my, uh, in, in, in Dominican Republic, uh, it was really about you know, merengue, <laughs> uh, baseball, mm -hmm. and, and Presidente beer, right? And, and <laughs> there's some staples, and baseball's one of them. And I remember this, um, Fred, you'll like this. I, um, my mom, she wasn't around much because from the time she woke up, she had to make bread. And grinding. every month that rent came, and it felt like 30 days came in three days. Yeah. And, and I remember as a young man, I, I went down on one knee, on two knees, and I prayed to God, I said, dear Lord, please slow down time for my mom because I see the stress and I see the pain. And we had to pay $600 and that was a lot of fucking money, yeah. right? Yeah. And we had to move every 18 months because they kept raising the rents. And then I said, prayer number two, I said, dear God, 
if I ever have an opportunity to change places with the landlord, I'm going to do that. And sure enough, about 12 years later, I'm now 22, and I have an opportunity right down by the Miami Heat Arena on Biscayne to buy my first duplex. And, and I bought that duplex. And that kind of started my investing career, my entrepreneurial career. And it was all because I was, I was wounded from a little kid watching my mother. Um, yeah, and that's, that's my mom. It's crazy that you jump right to it because that was one of my questions. I know you have this crazy real estate portfolio, your real estate mogul. I wanted to ask you, when did you buy your first property? Because I've gotten into real estate investing. Yeah. It's amazing. But I wanted to know when you bought your first property. Was it when you came out or 22? So my first property, you know, I ended up buying it in my early days in Seattle. And it was a small duplex. It was uh, probably around, I was 22 years old. And a couple years later, I sold it for double. And I said, oh, okay, this is, this is good. And then I bought a fourplex. Mm. And then I bought an aplex. And my biggest investment, I bought 60 units. And I'll never forget this. I had to write a million dollar check down payment. It was a $3 million property. Now I had $2 million in my bank account. <laughs> and I mean, we can understand that. I took half of it and wrote it as a down payment. And I said, dear Lord, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here, <laughs> but here we go. Hey, right? half of anything is a lot. Half of anything is a lot, right? <laughs> half of $5 It is sounds a like lot. a marriage, but in this case, it was just an apartment <laughs> building, right? So I, I buy the apartment. Now I'm off to Arizona for spring training. And I am now more concerned about my 60 tenants paying my rent so that I can pay my mortgage of $2 million because it was a $3 million building. I put a million, I got a $2 million loan, and I need these tenants to pay the rent so that I can you know, cover my mortgage. Right. And sure enough, that went well, and, and you know, we ended up growing that portfolio to about 15,000 apartment units in 14 states. Jeez. And, but that was the start of it. I always tell people, don't look at the headlines. You know, I didn't get 697, 96 home runs overnight. I started with one. I started with a bunt, a hit and run. I started with a duplex. And then you build this empire one step at a time, focused with great people, great alignment, and great protection. It wasn't 93 when you bought your mm -hmm. first real estate. Right. So you got that one point, I'm sorry, 1.35. That's right, that's right. What was that like though? Like, because y'all jumped to being big time real estate and you know, we all do real estate, but like you came from what you said, you came with your mom and, and, and your siblings, and then you got 1.35 million. Like, that first contract, before, before you were A-Rod. You know, Channing, I, I, I've always been wired for better or worse, different. And, and if we all make a million dollars today, I mean, we can all react differently, right? I mean, we can go say, hey, let's go on a vacation. You can say, hey, let me go buy a Rolls Royce. Let's go buy a boat. My whole thing is I would be like, all right, guys, how, what can we do with this million to make it grow? I wanna take this million and buy assets. I don't wanna buy any liabilities. Because ultimately, you're going to get in an elevator. Either one is going to go up or it's going to go down. Nothing's going to stay the same. you got to pay Uncle Sam. Yep. And then I believe in buying assets. And part of the world out there that we have to educate our community is what is the difference between an asset and a liability? When people look at their homes, they say, this is an asset. Well, they're wrong. Your home is a liability. My multifamily, your multifamily is an asset. Now you ask why? Number one, very simple. If something takes money out of your pocket every month, that's a liability. 
if something puts money, if an asset puts money in your pocket, that's an asset. And it's as simple as that. And the more assets we can have and the less liability we can have, we're going to be better off. Right. But you're 17, 18. When did that when did that all click? Because if you look at the statistics, at least in our sport, 87 percent of the guys when they retire are either broke, you know, they file in bankrupt or divorce. Mm -hmm. So we don't we don't come from backgrounds that allow us you know, financial literacy. We don't know these things. Mm -hmm. But you're speaking that you bought your first property at 22, which is four years removed from your draft day. When did it all click, though? You know, I ended up fear. Fear was the reason why I started so early. You guys remember when Broke came out. Yeah. And it was a big Sports Illustrated story. And then 30 for 30 did their thing. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking, like, man, I was so scared that I was going to be one of those 87% that I said, what can I do today to get ahead of that? And I started looking at some data. In baseball, average career, five and a half years. You make 90% of your money from age 20 to 30. And less than 5% of the league has an undergrad college degree. So if you take those three data points, I would short, and meaning that I would bet that most players would end up bankrupt. Hell, most people would end up bankrupt. Forget a, a sports player, right, or an athlete, because we've been so myopically thinking about this kind of we got to do one thing. We got to play football. We got to play baseball. So how the hell can we be good at this too, right? So I, I just basically started one. I said, if I play for five and a half years, that's the average, mm -hmm. and I buy one asset every year for five and a half years, when I'm done playing and I'm 39 and, or, or whenever it is, I'm going to have five and a half assets with very little debt because over that time I'm going to pay debt down. Right. And that's going to be my insurance for not going broke. Right. And, and it was out of fear. It wasn't out of like I was smarter than anybody or... I was always thinking about defense and offense. Correct. Right. And the one thing I will say is this. I've said this, and look, you take someone like Frank Gore. Mm -hmm. Frank Gore is my little brother. He's my neighbor. That, that's, that's, my my, that's my dog, right? Oh, yeah. And Frank came out of the Boys and Girls Club with Gallo here in, in, in Miami. And Frank Gore came to us years ago in the middle of his career and said, hey, I see you're doing some good things. Um, I want to invest with you. And Frank started investing with us. And Frank's made a small fortune with us. And it makes me so happy to this day. Every month, we send Frank checks, mm -hmm. right? Every month. And he's going to get that for the rest of his life, right? But remember this. So many people, Warren Buffett comes to you, Fred, or Ryan, or Channing, and says, I have a great deal for you. The three partners are going to be A-Rod, uh, Jeff Bezos, and Warren Buffett. And Ryan, you're going to be the fourth. Mm -hmm. And then you take that deal to your business manager, and guess what he's going to say? is not for you. And that's a problem, right? Because when you look at your business manager, look at him as your uh, defensive coordinator. But who the hell is playing offense for you guys? Right. You don't mm -hmm. have one, right? Mm -hmm. And what you guys have, what we all have as athletes, is we have tremendous access while we're playing. Right. Because when we're done playing, that, that shuts down a little bit. So while you're playing, and all of you, you guys have a personality on TV, and, and that helps. But when the players, they can reach out to Magic, they can reach out to Buffer, they can reach out to whom, and they're going to get a good, you know, recall. People are going to call them back. And I think athletes need to, they already got the defense with their business manager, but what are they doing? Like, if I'm going to say, I need to be a running back, I'm going to you and I'm going to, to Frank, right? Because I don't know anything about being a running back. Right. But in business, for whatever reason, we don't do that. We feel like it's got to be my idea. But really, Green doesn't have... 
the, the green is green, right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be your idea. If it's a good one, let's roll. Did you have to sacrifice to have that thought? It, it's a great thought. The defensive, keep your money, hold your money. Yeah. I was a hold my money guy. Yeah, yeah. I can get 7%. If you can't get 7%, something's mm -hmm. wrong with you. Mm -hmm. I can sit my money up somewhere, get 7% and be mm -hmm. good the rest of my life. But the offensive side of it, do you have to be strategic and do you have to sacrifice to say, I'm going to spend a million dollars out of my two million to try to be offensive and work this money and make this money work for me? Yeah, a lot of it is, is strategy, right? Like if you look at inflation today, it's going to be 7 or 8%. So if you're making 6%, you're in the water, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to be really intelligent. One of the things when you own uh, real estate uh, is a hedge against inflation, number one. Number two, whatever real estate you have today, you probably couldn't build it for what you paid for it. So, so again, I, I always say, let's start small. Okay, Ryan, if you have $10, I will say, hey, give nine to your business manager. Let, let us do one together. I'm gonna put up five, you put up one. I like that because your first question is, how much are you putting in? Yes. If the answer is none, then you know what they say. You're going to end up with the experience. I'm going to end up with the money. Mm -hmm. so, so number one, what are you putting in? We have to be aligned. And, 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 and watch how that one reacts to the nine. If you're crushing it with the one, then you say, okay, you know what? I'm going to do two. If you're crushing it with the two, it, well, what are you doing over here? Maybe you're the wrong person, right? right? But you create a little check and balance. But I will say start small. I always tell people in my office, everybody that you see here is invested in the company. And if they don't have money, I'll lend it to them because I want everybody aligned. When we win a championship, everybody's got to taste the same champagne. We can't have Alex and, and the partners drinking champagne and then Nick drinking, you know, uh, you know, Presidente beer, even though it's great. Right. <laughs> but so it's creating that alignment, but starting small. Yeah. If, if your investment, like, this whole thing really gets me going. Right. Because. What happens, and I always think about my mom, right? Why can't my mom invest with Warren Buffett? It doesn't make sense that all the rich people get all the right deals. By the time it gets to all of us, we're seeing the crap that everybody passed on. So if we think about how can we put $10,000 with Warren Buffett? How can we put $10,000 with Blackstone? How do we put $10,000 with A-Rod Corp? And let's just see what happens. Put enough money that if you lose it, your life's not gonna change. Maybe it's $2,000, it doesn't matter. But Nick is investing and he started investing. He invests 10,000, 10,000, and you watch. And what happens is you're, all of a sudden you're connected. You're paying attention. Because once your money's in, now you're gonna pay attention. So that, that's what I encourage our generation to start thinking about how do I put my money to work? You know, sitting here has been an education for us yes. already and listening to you talk about the way you were brought up, the different things that you, uh, your mother and your siblings had to endure. It seemed that that really shaped who you were once you did get money and once you did get an opportunity uh, to get to the league and become, you know, the landlord and not, not the tenant. Mm -hmm. But you teach a class at Stanford Business School called Strategic Pivoting. Mm -hmm. And you're also big into mentoring. Mm -hmm. What are the things you are trying to pass down other than just the, the money, mm -hmm. the, the heart of what you're trying to get to? Yeah, it's a good question, Ryan. You know, now with direct messaging, we get all these cats. Now, I get dozens and dozens of messages, direct messages where players are looking to invest with us. They want advice. And I can't do anything with NBA players because I'm an owner. But football and baseball, I help a lot of guys. And now we have a lot of guys investing with us. But number one is knowledge. We've heard it from little kid. Knowledge is power. But today, you can find knowledge in so many different ways. Back in the day, you had to go to a library. 
Today, you sit on YouTube and say, you know, how to invest in real estate. Who are the best real estate investors in the world? What are the best markets to, to invest? If I have $5,000, where can I put it to work? So I, I tell them about really creating uh, a great ecosystem because you're an average of the first five people you surround yourself with, right? So looking for great mentors, say, hey, Alex, can I come spend a couple of days? I just want to be a fly on the wall. I want to get educated. I want to know how you do things, right? Because that's the way we did it in sports. I think athletes could be some of the best business people in the world because they're tenacious, they're hardworking, they understand failure, they keep getting back up. I think athletes are some of the best potential business people out there if they can just channel some of that energy. Well, listening to you say that about athletes makes me think about some of the names you've mentioned, though, the, the Bezos and mm -hmm. the, the Warren Buffetts. You know, but also in sports, we've had opportunities to see people like you grow into a, a mogul of, of some sort, the Magic Johnsons, the Michael Jordans, and the different players who were able to take their success, whether it be on the field or the court, and now build something away from their sport that truly gives them generational wealth. For you, who are some of the guys you maybe talk to, uh, you have conversations with, or you sit with, that did the same thing for a young Alex Rodriguez, or even you now, uh, that you're doing for some of these young players? Yeah, and you guys should try this, right? Because you'll be surprised how many yeses you get. You mentioned two of them. Warren Buffett has been my mentor for over 20 years. And over five or six years, I would go down to Omaha and spend the entire day with him. And we would spend four or five hours in his office. He would go over all my books, tell me yay, nay, and different, like give me all great feedback. And then we'll go grab a nice dinner. And uh, we usually have a steak dinner. And then at the end, he would always make me have a little ice cream. That was his favorite. <laughs> um, Magic Johnson, over 20 years ago, sat down with me what was supposed to be a 30-minute coffee. And it ended up being a three-and-a-half-hour dinner. And we did that in L.A., uh, with his guy Lon, and Magic gave me the blueprint. And I, I asked him, why did you spend so much time with me? I said, he said, Alex, you had like 10 pages of notes. I knew you were locked in, and I saw a young me in you. So I wanted to give you my blueprint. And to this day, A-Rod Corp was billed around the advice that Magic gave me that dinner. Oh, wow. So I encourage, you know, your listeners and all of us to continue to elevate by finding people that we trust and respect and say, hey, I got a couple questions. A couple of them may be dumb, and what you'll find is there's no dumb questions. And great people at high levels, one of their biggest passions in life is to mentor people that are hungry for information. And you just gotta have a little humility and say, hey, you know what, I need a little help. I got $10,000, I have no idea what to do with it. They're getting 0% in the bank. And, and or by the way, or like my mom who put the money under the mattress. Right. Right, there's a lot of people out there that are scared yeah. of banks corporate America, so you have to be able to go with someone that you trust and respect and see if you can put a few dollars next to theirs. So, so dig my, dig my uh, grocery bag up in the backyard? <laughs> I don't trust none of them. But you, you brought it up with the Timberwolves and the Lynx as well, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Why, why basketball? You're, you're, bro, you're one of the base, best baseball players ever. Ever to live. Ever to walk the earth <laughs> and you bought two basketball teams. Like when, I, like when I saw that come out, I was like, baseball team, why not? <laughs> well, let me tell you something. You know what it say, game knows game, right? Yeah. And, and, and when I look at a young Anthony Edwards or Cat or, 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 or D'Lo, I, I, I know what a champion looks like. And, and, and you guys do too, right? Because you look at another athlete in the eye and it transcends sports. It's really about this, it's about this, it's about this, right? right. And that's really important. Then, then I looked at the landscape of, you know, it's funny, um, my, one of my heroes, Magic, 
NBA legend, yeah. ends up with a baseball team with the Dodgers. Yeah. And here I am, I played 25 years of baseball and I end up with an NBA team. But when you look at the NBA, there's so many things that they're doing right. No, no, number one thing they're doing is all they care about is growing the pie as big as possible and then they split it right down the middle. So there's no labor issues now, in the future, or ever. So all we're trying to do is, like, I mean, it's simple, it's four of us. Let's grow this freaking pie as big as possible. I'm gonna take a quarter, you take a quarter, you take a quarter, and then we're all aligned. And when that phone rings, we're all gonna be helping each other, right? And we have this good energy. It's not, so the NBA has a great business plan. Yeah. Number two, it has great leadership. Adam Silver, uh, Mark Tatum, they just do an incredible job. When they're faced with challenges, they face them head on. They take a negative into a, a positive. You see how um, Adam Silver handled uh, the Donald Sterling situation. Boom, Steve Ballmer ends up with a team. Um, anytime there's a situation, BLM, you name it, they're always out in front, right message, they're not afraid, it's a global sport. Look, I, I gotta bribe my girls to come to a baseball game these days, which breaks my heart. My first love is baseball. And, but they don't wanna sit there for four hours, right? Basketball game, we're there for two hours and 15 minutes. We're having dinner and a cocktail at 9.30. Yeah. A lot of action, right? Yeah. right? So, so there's a lot of tailwinds in the NBA. I actually think that if you look at the landscape of the NBA and the NFL, you won't be able to acquire an NFL or an NBA team for less than $5 billion in the next 15 to 20 years. Oh, yeah, because when I look at the, the investments that you spoke about, you talk about real estate, you talk about basketball. Essentially, a basketball team is not necessarily real estate, but it's like real estate, right? Yeah. There's a real estate component. Right. Uh, what, what you'll find and what I try to invest in is things that uh, have tailwinds, uh, that have a big TAM, meaning it has a huge market, right? Real estate, NBA. Um, and they all generate a lot of cash, right? And it's really very little speculation. Like, honestly, like if you can't explain it to me in the back of the envelope in less than two minutes, then I, then I ain't that freaking smart. You lost me. Break it down to me right. easy, right? Break it down to me basic. And you look at the NBA, is growing 15 to 17% a year. There's young audience all over the world. It's a global sport. It's fun, right? And, and we got to keep things fun. In this world, where TV contracts are going, if you keep it fun and entertaining, and my daughter's gonna walk in, I can't keep her attention for more than six seconds. Right. So you <laughs> think about a four hour out. game, it's a challenge. You look at, you know, you're talking about a four hour game, um, also the incredibly long seasons, you guys being on the road a ton of time. You know, what, what did you learn from the adversities of, of baseball, whether it be individually on a team, understanding the losses? Because we sit here and if you read through Alex Rodriguez's bio, it looks like a ton of wins, right? I'm sure if we got an opportunity to look at your portfolio, it would be a ton of wins. But there had to be some things that taught you lessons along the way. What are some of those situations that you said, okay, you know what, Alex, this is something I can learn from, be better about, and help somebody going forward? Yeah, I mean, look, I have a huge portfolio of losses, right? A huge. Um, I'm fifth all time in the history of the game. Fifth in the history of strikeouts, right? <laughs> So that means four peak channing, four people. I know you're good at math. Hey, why are you looking at hey, hey, this Fred, is crazy. Freddie T can't this do the math. Channing can do it. Wait, wait. So, so, so I thought if, he was going a different right? direction. No, 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 I wasn't. I wasn't. So if I'm fifth, that means that only four cats in the history, four.
in cats in the history of mankind that struck out more than me. Right. So I got a PhD in failing folks. I know how to fail better than anybody, but I always tell my daughters, you know, I have a master's in getting back up. And the thing about failing, it's not about failing, it's how you handle failure and how do you learn from those lessons and how do you dust off and get back to the box and say, you know what, this time I'm gonna do it. But do it where you feel like you're still gonna get it done. Because doing it to doing it, that ain't doing it. You gotta come out with the mentality, you kicked my ass, but I'm coming back up. And I always think about the movie Rocky, and I'll never forget the scene where Apollo, Apollo feels like he's got him knocked out, knocked out, knocked out, and he's kinda over there celebrating, and he thinks he has him knocked out, and when he looks back at Rocky, he's still coming, and you saw his face where Apollo says, oh shit, this mother is different. And I always want to be like Rocky, right? Like you can punch me, you can knock me, you can count me out, but man, that's fuel to my soul. And uh, my, fir- my first year, I said my freshman year, my first year, I got demoted five times. The fifth time I called my mom, I was 18 years old. I said, mom, what the f- man? I'm- I remember I had a little Beamer 525. I thought I was a baller, right? <laughs> they five, took my ass down to- 525. T- yeah, 525. Tiny one? They- no, it was the middle one. <laughs> The, 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 three, the, the 325 three. was tiny, oh, yeah. but, but I went middle. I went, I went middle. 1.35. I got a stretch, but it was used. It was used, and I got a good deal. I negotiated the hell out of that. But but I was. They took my ass down to, to Tacoma, and Lupinella said, "We're gonna send your ass down." I said, "Lou, for the fifth time." He said, "Yeah, you know, you gotta adjust with your strikeouts, and you gotta make the plays." So I'm going down Tacoma uh, from Seattle. It's about 45 minute ride. Tears. Um, I, that was the time where you get that speakerphone in your car for the first time. So I, I call mom, I wake her ass up, and it's, it's like 3 in the morning back home because I'm in Seattle, she's in Miami. And she, I said, Mom, you know what? This is what they talk about, Plan B. You know, I still got that scholarship at the University of Miami. I'm going to go throw the rock and be a quarterback. And I can't play baseball because I burned that. And she goes, you've got to be out of your mind. I said, first of all, you better toughen up. And that's not the boy that I raised. And I said, number two, if you bring come home, I'm gonna f-ing change the lock on the door. <laughs> so I didn't have a choice to come home. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of got me going. And then of course I served the suspension in 2014. And that was the longest suspension in Major League Baseball history for PDUs. And that was, that, was the, that was the blow that I thought was gonna take me out, right? That was like the blow that landed, right? And, and it was such a, such a humiliating uh, part of my life because I let down so many people. Started with my mother and my two daughters, first and foremost. And that was a perfect example of of overreaching and surrounding myself with the wrong people. And when I looked at that suspension and and the time off, I was hoping that it would be a 50-game suspension like the other guys, but ended up being a full season. And and what happened was that was a blessing in disguise. And the reason why is I was able to, um, you know, sometimes you put, uh, you fix the windows in a house and you fix the roof and get the landscape. I needed to tear the whole house down and start one brick at a time. And because I needed that time, it gave me the full year to go back and turn the lens inward and and go into deep therapy. And uh, Dr. David out in Colorado, uh, who's no longer with us, saved my life because I would go for four days intensive, and it would be from nine in the morning to five in the afternoon with no break, no lunch break. You better bring a donut or something. And I had, I really got an understanding 
of why I kept making the mistakes that I was making, uh, imploding, right? And I'm like, I'm the only jackass. I told him, this is how I started my therapy. I'm the only jackass that has pocket aces. God gives me pocket aces and I end up losing the hand. And I ended up beating up myself. And I would wake up in the middle of the night like, what the f have I done? I just, it hit me. What, what, you know, not all together, but what went on in that session for you to say that? Like, mm -hmm. what went on there? Like, what did, what did you find out to go four days a week? You said 10 hours a day? Mm -hmm. Basically. Like, what were y'all talking about that long to get you where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember early on, Dr. David said, if, if you're not willing to finish this intensive, then don't start it. Because you're going to be worse if you quit in the middle. And, and, and we as athletes, we know commitments, we know long seasons. So I'm like, shit, if I start something, I'm going to finish. I know how to finish and I know how to close. And uh, it was the toughest drill exercise that I've ever had to do. But as a result, I, what I ended up learning as my father left when I was 10 and some of the things I had to deal with that, I, that there were unsettled business um, all that stuff created a big blind spot. And, and, and the blind spot is scary, right? Because as you start ascending in your career, you don't hear a lot of no's. Right. You hear an awful lot of yeses, right? And, and hanger honors. And all of this creates a blind spot. And one of the things that, you know, my mom taught me early on is you got to have these feet where you're at, mm -hmm. squarely in the ground. And as you have success, and you sign a big contract, and then you sign another huge contract uh, for hundreds of millions of dollars, you start losing your way. And it, it's, it's what I describe to my daughters as Alex Rodriguez became A-Rod, and sure enough, I came back to being Alex Rodriguez. Right. right? And that journey uh, has been interesting uh, and, and painful at times. But because of all of that, I feel like all of it is a blessing in disguise and has made my life so much fuller. So you left the Rangers, uh, ended up in New York in 2004, I believe, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, a friend that we have in common, Chad Bowling, yeah. uh, mental strengthening conditioning coach. I know you, uh, the city of New York, their fans, they demand it now, mm -hmm. especially with the type of contract you receive. Um, I think out the gate, it wasn't necessarily as you guys had planned it to be. But you visited with Chad, and um, the, the, the story that I've heard is that your career, there were some, you know, circumstances where you didn't think, you know, you were the same player. Mm -hmm. You know, it's some struggles here, and then we all go through that as athletes. Mm -hmm. But you bounced back, and eventually in 2009, you guys won the World Series. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of young guys, including myself, when I met Chad, Trevor, you know, who's no longer here with us, I was opposed to mental condition. I'm like, I'm good up here. I don't need that. But it made me a better player. Mm -hmm. How did it make you? Yeah, you know, first of all, Chad was, um, he was real relatable. You know, he would show up in his, sometimes in uniforms, like in his Yankee gear. So it wasn't like you're going to go see a medical doctor where, right. you know, you kind of thought that was synonymous with going crazy. So he was more like a, a performance coach, right? And, and, and you can kind of, you, he had you at hello, kind of, you know, good looking guy, uh, very unassuming, and, mm -hmm. and, and I thought that was a big part of it for the trust part. And then 
when you have an opportunity to talk and kind of let, you know, a lot of times as athletes, we feel like they look at us as a, like a piece of meat. Like yeah. we're not, they don't, they don't think we're smart. They don't right. think we see things. And, you know, that's one of the things that served me so well as an owner so far of a basketball team, because I understand our players are so smart. Mm -hmm. They have so much to offer. And at the end of the day, there are our partners and we have to lean on them to teach us what's going on in the clubhouse and what they need. So one of the things that Chad and I worked on was a system called, and, and I made this up and we use this now at A-Rod Corp, is green, yellow, and red. You should ask Chad about mm -hmm. that. But essentially, Ryan, if I'm meeting with you once a quarter, I'm gonna give you the green, the yellow, and the red. I'm gonna first start with um, the green. So here are the things you're doing well. You know, you're showing up on time, your workout's great, you're, you're being a great leader, blah, blah, blah. I'll give you a three or four. Then I'm gonna say the yellows, you know, something for you to be careful for and watch, right? Uh, I see where, you know, you walked into this meeting right on time, you're almost late, um, you know, you, you didn't return a couple of those emails that coaches have sent you, so, you know, watch that because, you know, people are. They're not starting to talk, but be careful. And then red, you, you gotta stop wearing them crazy ass shoes. You know, you can't, those are gonna kill you. Right? But so, so what happened was you went in knowing exactly what to expect. Right. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And then when we sandwiched it like that, you were more receptive mm -hmm. to the red. Mm -hmm. and, and then what happened with me was I was now looking forward for the red more than anything, because I'm like, okay, I'm good with the green. I know I'm doing some good things. The yellow, that's really interesting. I got to watch that. But the red, what are the things that I got to change today? So it gave Chad a license to help me mm -hmm. become a better player and a better person in that clubhouse. Well, yeah, you mentioned the red and changing things. And obviously, when you go away after your suspension and you go through some of that intensive therapy, I believe that has to change who you are internally and externally. You return and, and you start to play again. What was the reception like? Because listening to you talk about how smart players are, it, it, it brings me back to the locker room and, and understanding that when you get around guys, they feel certain energies, right? They, they, feel, they feel if you're confident in who, in who you are now, when you get back into, into that atmosphere, and let's be real, you A-Rod, like you ain't just like a regular cat. Like if we used to follow you and be like, what, they gonna give him 375? They gonna give him 300? You know what I mean? And so when you walk back into, into the, the clubhouse, what was the reception like from the rest of the players? And are there any of those guys that you like, you know what, these are my favorite teammates and here's why? Yeah, I think what they sensed, Ryan, was a, a paradigm shift of who I was as a human being. Like we grew up around a bunch of bullshitters. I mean, when you grow up in the hood, people lie to you all the time, right? Mm -hmm. you, you grow up with a bunch of perpetrators and, and it sounds funny. They don't look in your eyes. It's just, it's just everything Weasley. Yeah, just like slippery. <laughs> angle. They all have angles. They got an angle. And, yeah. and as players, we know that. We know coaches like that. We know players like that. We know owners like that. So we run the other way. Like we've got enough of that shit in our lives. Right. So when somebody comes to you and talks to you straight and they look in your eye and they're not going to tell you what you want to hear, but they're going to tell you the truth, you go, oh, that, was, that shit is different. Okay, okay. And you build credibility. So when they saw me come back, they saw more of that. And it wasn't a sugar coat. And I fucked up and that's on me and, 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 and period, right? Not like, hey, the, the commissioner had it against me. None of that nonsense bullshit that I was doing. I came back and the commissioner did what he had to do because I fucked up and that's on me. Not on Rob Manford, that's on me. And, and, and it just changes things. And when I started doing that, I started seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. And then the last part was 
I started understanding bringing levity into my life and not taking myself so seriously and having a little bit of fun. Mm -hmm. Forever, pre-suspension, I was like a robot. I was mm -hmm. so fucking uptight. And I was like, you know, wins were home runs and contracts and championships. And post, I was like, hey, let's go have a pizza with my boys, right? And, and let me go spend some time with my daughters and having people around here, let them do well. And, and winning just looked completely different. I say pre-suspension and post-suspension, and I think those who have been around me uh, will tell you that is a big difference. And wow. is that the thing, too? Because reading about it, because I, 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 I love you. I don't love baseball. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I, I know A-Rod, but that's I'm not going to say, like, I, I can name you all your teammates, bro. <laughs> but there was, there was a narrative that you were a bad teammate. Was that media driven? Like, was there something there? I think uh, I read Joe Torrey, something in his book mm -hmm. about you being his bad teammate or like when you got to a team, like you were kind of standoffish. Was that the, the pre-suspension A-Rod? Well, I, I will say this. I was a bad mother, right? <laughs> oh, we know. That's real talk. And I posted every single day. Yeah. And when you think about star players, the biggest asset is being available. Right, and I was available every night to play, no matter what the hell was happening. So for me, a good teammate starts with, you gotta be on that field, yeah. whether you're hurt or you're not. Or you're not. So, so, so from that standpoint, I thought it was a great teammate because I helped you win night in and night out, right? And, and, and that's the most important thing a leader can do. Um, there were things that we talked about pre-suspension that I was my worst enemy, right? Because I honestly, I didn't know any better. And it wasn't until I addressed it with therapy that I realized that I had a blind spot, that I sounded like I was full of shit. Even when I wasn't, I just sounded slippery. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, what the f You know, I didn't see it. I couldn't right. hear it. I couldn't smell it. When I got after suspension, when I got done with my therapy, which, which uh, I, I've been in therapy now for eight years, right? And my, my therapy hasn't stopped. As a matter of fact, I had an hour session today. I think that I'm, I'm, I'm circling second base. So I still mm -hmm. got a long ways to go. And I don't think therapy is something that, you know, big, tough boys like us should be embarrassed about because I think right. it's really important. The bigger and tougher you are, the more help you need, right? And the higher you are in the chain, the lonelier, lonelier it gets. So I, I think what was happening, Shannon, is that I was doing things that didn't need to be slippery and I made them slippery. So as a result, when I come out of my suspension, I just became more straight. And if you answer me a question, I'm going to give you a straight answer. And that's it. There's no sugarcoating. And I think that kind of made, whether Joe Toy or other people think of that, I was my own worst enemy. Yeah, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, when you came out of therapy, well, continuing to do yeah. therapy now. And I start thinking about young players. Uh, we had Antonio Brown on the show recently. And it was, it was one, good for me because he was someone I mentored when he was uh, in the league, but he's also someone I've butted head with, heads with since. When you look at young players like that, what is some advice uh, that you'd want to give those type of players who can be seen as bad teammates or who can be seen as doing things that affect the team negatively, but also to the people around them? Because you mentioned a little bit about having the hang oners and the perpetrators and those type of people. There's always someone who, who needs the, the help, so they have to accept it, but also people around them that has to be a circle that allows them to ascend and trying to give them a mirror. What advice could you give someone like an Antonio Brown and the people that want to help him? Well, first of all, I want to say that I personally love Antonio Brown. 
I, I love him so much because I see the goodness in this young man. First of all, he's a beautiful looking guy. He's handsome as hell. He grew up right here in Miami. You have to sympathize with the way this young man grew up. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, he grew up in Park Avenue, right? right? <clears throat> he's seen things that probably none of us have ever seen, right? And so I think as a leader, we have to lead with compassion and empathy. And I recently sat at a Miami Heat game with him and, and, and the champ Mayweather, and I, I was just so impressed by his way, you know? Uh, he's got a different way of communicating, but why can't that be celebrated? You know, if he takes off his shirt and he comes out, that's an expression that's happening. Does it make him a bad guy? There's a lot of bad shit going on in Russia and Ukraine and, and COVID, like that is bad. Okay, this young man is artistic, right? He wants to wear a glove, he wants to wear a mask. He's got way more flavor than me, right? <laughs> right? But I don't see that as a bad thing. What I love about someone like Tom Brady, who I love, is a you know, dear friend of mine, who we go back over 20 years, I love how Tom embraced him. Because to me, that's real leadership. When a guy needs you and he's falling down and, and maybe there's a little confusion, when a guy like that embraces you, Ryan, you probably did the same thing when you played with him. It, you know, and it comes with a little tough love, it comes with a, little, mm-hmm. is a lot of support, but we can't turn our backs on young people right that are going through challenging times, because what are you going to go to? Well, the kid who doesn't need be you? There for you. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the, I, the leagues should be there for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll answer that question, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. MLB, NFL, mm-hmm. NHL, whoever it is, the league should be there for that guy, yeah. shouldn't yeah. they? They should, and also, like, we have to protect these young men. Remember, when I was 20, shit, when I was 30, I cringe at some of the shit I do, the things that I used to think about. So if a young man like Brown, who still has maybe five or six, seven more years left if he takes care of himself, is how do we take that young man and take him away from the spotlight, give him a little protection, give him some vitamins, put him around a Chad Bolin, put him around a Jerry Rice, a Ronnie Lott, these legends, right? Someone like Ryan, Stephen A. Smith, Mm -hmm. brothers that he respects, that he may not have. Look, I didn't have a father, right? So I had to lean on the Warren Buffetts, the Lou Pinellas, the Joe Torres, the, the Mariano Rivera's talk about a great teammate, Andy Pettit. You, we can't turn our backs on young men that are making mistakes because, look, if somebody gave up on me, I would not be here today. And over and over, I let people down, but I got back up and, 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 and I've learned from my mistakes and I'm here today. So we can do the same thing for Brown. That's a quick pivot for me, aside from AB. I, I, I agree with everything you said about AB. He's an amazing person. And... Um, you know, that, that support is is always huge. But I want to ask you, you're a girl dad. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're yeah. an amazing father. We just recently had uh, Jalen Ramsey. He's a girl dad. He 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 states that his, his kids, his daughters changed his life. Mm-hmm. And you also just mentioned you didn't have a father in your life. Does that make you double down with your daughters? Oh, man, that's <laughs> you, you're hitting a deep subject there because when my father left, I had no idea why he left. Right. I thought it was my fault. You know, when you're 10, your father leaves, you're like, it can't be pops. We do a great job of protecting our loved ones, right? Because that's all we have. We don't have much. So when he left and I realized that he wasn't coming back, whether it was 13, 14, or 15, I did another one of my prayers. And I said, dear Lord, if you ever give me the opportunity to be a father, um, I'm going to promise you I'm not going to let you down. Could you pray for me? Because it seems like... (laughs) Hey, he got the Sierra prayers. He got the Sierra prayers, though. That's how she got Russell Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't see your call long. I need God's number because I'm being a secretary and somebody else. I need to talk to the man. (laughs) But, But I made a promise to 
to the good man upstairs and I basically said, I'm gonna be a present father and that's gonna be my number one mission. And having little girls, uh, it's so important for us male figures to be around our daughters. Mm -hmm. uh, last night at dinner, gotta put the phones away, take the iPads, no electronics. We're gonna have some old school conversations wow, here and it's gonna be one conversation and we're gonna listen. Mm -hmm. And you know, Nick's my nephew and if, if he's on his phone, I'll jump somebody's ass, right? Because this is our time, it's one hour. We're gonna have some old school conversations, and I'm telling you, they, everyone's like this. It's like they can't, they, they, they crackberry. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you're gonna wait. And I take the phones, and they hand them over, and I put them next to me, and nobody's gonna touch that. And now we're gonna say, what you learned in school? Right. Tell me what, what are the boys talking about? And, yeah. and, and, and it's so much fun, but we have to, like we said for Antonio Brown, we have to be there for our kids. Yeah. We can depend they're gonna learn those things at school. We gotta spend that time with our children. In sports, do they like sports? Did they enjoy your career? Or are they just <laughs> like, ah, all the girls stuff? A little bit like that. Right. Um, they, they are into music, drama. Um, I, I recently took uh, Natasha to, to Michigan. Mm -hmm. uh, I took my ex-wife, Cynthia, who's a dear friend of mine and an amazing woman, her husband, Angel, and we all went up there as a kind of a 2022 family. Mm -hmm. We went on the plane and we watched Ohio State against Michigan. She wants to go to Michigan. Oh, wow. Mom okay. went to Ohio State. Yeah. So I loved it. I played referee and them two were going at it. It was That's great. very, that is very 2022. Very 2022. Yeah. 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 You, yeah. You took everybody. <laughs> yeah, everybody, everybody. That's a mixed family there, man. <laughs> but with the girls, I need some advice, man, because you're just a smart dude. I learned so much. What, did girls talk about boys? Like, how do you, because I don't want to tell my daughter, don't talk to boys. But I also don't want to embrace that she likes a little boy named Jace, and I hate Jace. Yeah. <laughs> because I, he's talking to my daughter. Like, well, how do you talk to your girls about, about yeah. relationships? It's interesting because, like, literally, they're 13 and 17, and uh, Natasha drives, and Ella thinks she's like 17 too, because she wants right. to be like sister. And every night I hear something that makes me cringe, but I gotta act cool because I want to hear more. Yep. So, like, this boy did that. Someone smoked this. I was like, what, what the hell? <laughs> 2022. And, and yeah. I'm like, you know, so I got to act cool so they don't think that, you know, you know, Nick always says, hey, dad jokes and dad body and all this other stuff. But I try to just, you know, flow with the flow. But I think being there, being open, and, and again, not having a knee-jerk reaction right. on things. So they're going to be like, wait a minute. That, dad's like, he's an L7. I'm not going to tell him shit. <laughs> well, you want them to be able to feel that they can come to you, yes. too. You right. never yes. want your daughters, yes. for, you know, I have two girls myself. I never wanted them to feel like you couldn't tell dad. They going right? to talk to a man. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm always like, no matter what, in the, at the end of the day, I'm your father. And I love you. And I will love you forever. There's nothing that you can do that's gonna make that change. And you have to allow your girls to know that. And now listen, I've had to listen to some stuff. My daughter's 23, my oldest. Uh -oh. And I've had to hear some stuff and I'm just like, oh Lord, like I failed. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I might not be good at this. You know what I mean? But it's those conversations that now when we talk and you know, she tells she's working in San Francisco and she tells me how much she misses me. I realized that because of those conversations, we have that relationship. Right. And Fred, by the way, talking about God, it's not all one way. He'll pay back. That's why I got two daughters. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. He, he had to teach you. This is one thing, man. You talked about your ex-wife and, you know, your, your, your relationships are very open. Everybody knows about what you've been through and all. I wanted to ask you, you know, kind of just for them pretty much because me and you are dimes. Mm -hmm. It's so, hard to be a male dime. You know, what like, you mean? Male dime what? 
like fine, you know, he got the pretty eyes, he clean cut, like we're tens. It's hard to be a male ten. You are eight and a half, Freddie. Y'all about eight nine. But like but but but, but me ain't but. I can't believe you put yourself on the same level with him though. Bro, Asia yeah, got want, you messed up. Do you see what, what side they put us on? This is free teeth or, or like oh, never mind. Hey Rob, never I'm, mind. About, I'm about to get my teeth done. That's all good. That's all good. I love it, big homie. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. But but being being a successful good looking rich as hell let's be honest you're sitting in your goddamn office like what, what challenges does that bring to look the way you look have the success you have have the fame you have and now you're just trying to sit down and have a damn dinner yeah. to pick a dilly yeah well you know alice rodriguez there ain't no dang pick a dilly no more you don't go to the pick a dilly Pick a dinner. <laughs> pick a dinner. I like no, it. Pick a dinner. <laughs> yeah, I like it. No, I think it goes back to what Ryan asked earlier, which I thought was the right question, is like the whole thing, when, when you get into like the less fake bullshit uh, perpetrating, you start attracting people. And, and my doctor told me this. He said, Alex, if you get this right, you're going to see the ball better at Yankee Stadium. You're going to go back and be more confident. You're going to attract better people in your life, you're going to attract a, a beautiful lady in your life that, that is beautiful uh, in more ways than one, right? And, and I think as you start changing the way you live your life, I think you start attracting better people. The attention you grab, is that hard still? Like, at, 20, at 21 it was hard. I'm 38 now, so I'm yeah, yeah. getting out of it. But the attention you grab when you walk into some. Can you walk down the street right now? You know what I'm saying? You're going to grab so much attention even being you. Like, is that hard to deal with? Have you accepted it? It's not. You know why? Because I've gone to rock bottom, mm -hmm. right? And I remember sending out emails and people wouldn't return my emails. And it was heartbreaking. I've been A-Rod for 39 years and now I'm a pariah. And nobody wants to deal with me. And that's because I did that to myself. So that reality check, I say, has set up the back nine of my life with full of appreciation, grateful, humbled, knocked on my ass. And I, and I never want my children or anyone that I love to go through what I went through. But in a way, it was the best medicine that I needed because my highs were so high mm. that I needed a low to match it. And I was a ground zero, yeah. depressed, sad, I was probably too much of a narcissist to think about taking my life, but that's just because I was so damn arrogant, probably. Yeah. But it was, it was the lowest point uh, by far of my entire life. The, the suspension, mm -hmm. would that be your biggest pivot? After that, oh, yeah. and, 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 and coming off of that, did you have to work twice as hard as you did to, to, you know, before your, you know, your debut yeah. as, a, as a rookie yeah. in the MLB? Yeah, it, it, was, it was the hardest thing to ever come back from because for the first time, I felt like I was an underdog again, which I know how to be an underdog because I was my whole life growing up. But ever since I became a professional, I got that 1.35, I, I was a, a Goliath. Right. And, and I was on this path with Ken Griffey Jr. and Edgar Martinez mm -hmm. and Randy Johnson and Jeter and I, championship and this and that. And, and then I went back to the bottom. And I had to reconnect with that little boy that was 15, 16 years old. I had to grind his ass off, right? And, but, but it was the medicine that I needed at the time to get back up and, and try to do it again. And, and I tell people this. There's a lot of people out there that are listening to your show um, and watching this show that are going through some hard times. Oh, yeah. And they wake up 
they go to sleep at night and they wake up and, and don't know if they're going to be able to pay the rent, don't know if they're going to have food to put on the table for their children. And my message to them is, you know, visualize what you want your life to be in five years, 10 years, and then work backwards. You know, pray, connect, work hard. You know, your attitude would determine your altitude and anything's possible, but do not lose hope. Work your ass off, get up, smile, and don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Because if I would have given up, I wouldn't be here with you guys, and it's an honor to be here with you guys. 100% for sure. You just mentioned Jeter, you know, and to go from the Rangers to New York, having to go from shortstop to third base, you know, was it an ego thing involved or you accepted that? What was that like? You know, to me, it was an easy decision, right? Because when George Steinbrenner called me to say, do you want to be a Yankee? He was very clear and he said, I have a four-time world champion shortstop. He's the captain mm -hmm. and he's not moving. And I said, well, boss, that's the only way I would have it. He said, if you want to come play third base, game on. I'm going to bring you to be a Yankee. And that was the agreement from day one. And, and Jeter and I, we never had an issue around that. And that was the agreement. And when you make an agreement, that's the deal. Mm -hmm. That is the deal. And I was, I, I, as a matter of fact, I think I told Jill Torrey once, if you put me a short, I'll ask for a trade. Wow. So my agreement to George Steinbrenner was, I am the third baseman. Jeter is an incredible shortstop and someone who was a very close friend and someone that I admired. Uh, and uh, five-time world champion Hall of yeah, Famer. So it was just, a great marriage. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, LeBron coming to Miami, mm -hmm. sharing the stage with, with D-Wade. You know, you, you're going to New York, sharing the stage with Jeter. Mm -hmm. Just two uh, uh, superstars, uh, you know, above the atmosphere stars, whatever you want to call them. You know, sometimes people think you guys are just butt heads, mm -hmm. but you guys were there for one goal, one, one mm -hmm. goal in coming. And, and we don't know that, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if the media ever addressed it. Were there ever moments where there was friction? Because you are a, as Shannon would like to say, um, alpha, alpha male. Alpha male, yeah, alpha male that, that a dog. If you walk in the room, you got an aura to you. Like, Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure Jeter, that was, that's been Jeter's team. Yeah, yeah. Was there an, ever button heads or friction or just you you know, know, happy, friendly competition? It, it, look, at the end of the day, there's no relationship that's always going to be 100% goody-goody, right? right? I mean, that, that's just not realistic. No, um, no. You go back to my Seattle days, and I had some friction at some point with, with Buner or, or with Griff. In Texas, I had maybe some friction with Buck Walter for a minute, mm -hmm. with Jeter, with, with Mariano. With, okay. It's called a brotherhood. And, and when you play 200 games in 232 days, yeah. if you don't have some friction, then you're not competing, you're not an alpha, you're not a champion. Because we bring it every day, and I've never met a player that wanted to win, understood winning, leadership, the little things, the big things, the big moment. I, mm -hmm. I was in awe of Derek Jeter and how he wow. handled those big moments. Wow. And the truth is, I always felt like he can score 140 runs, I can drive in 140 runs, and together we were better. And that's why we were world champs. Oh! Hey! What's up, champ? Speaking of stars! Hey! Shell! What up, brother? What's good? What's up, boss? <laughs> how you doing, big man? You good? Come on, fam. Yes, sir. Looking good, man. You good, bro? Man, good to see you, brother. It's me? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He said whatever you want. Hold up. Limitless. Biggest to me, cap pinning it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. Knowing me, I got the key. On the vision, I can trust. Trust. 
limitless. Niggas send me cap in it. I find the head to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling got me up. Uh, on the mission got me up. Uh, knowing me, I got the key. Uh, on the vision I can trust. Yeah, good.